Hello, Annie Trenders. Welcome to the Girl Taku, hosted by the ladies of anime trending. We are back with another fun topic on the table. My name is Gracie, and I am joined by. Hello, I am Isabel, and this is Agnes. So, without further ado, the Girl Taku today will be about our favorite fight scenes we've ever seen in anime. Uh, you know, fight scenes are nothing new in regards to anime. In fact, I think fight scenes are sequences are probably one of anime's biggest assets. They're able to visually show us things that, you know, live action and CGI still cannot manage to do quite yet. And so today we want to focus on some of the fight scenes that have made a huge impact on us. And basically the favorites that we've seen throughout our many long years of watching anime. So, with that being said, Agnes, you are taking the floor first today, and I know you were already prepping earlier today about in discussion of this topic, so I know what <laughs> one of them is, but I don't know what the others are, so go ahead and take it away. What are some of your favorite fight scenes you ever seen in anime, and why did they make such a big impact on you? For sure. Um, I'm glad I didn't reveal you the last bit because it also reveals that I hastily did this research within the last hour before this podcast started. <laughs> so that's my that's my procrastination kicking in right there. I spent the whole day after selecting my first pick just going through YouTube videos and that was a mistake because then I got sucked into other YouTube videos that weren't anime and I was like, oh god, this is bad. It's the YouTube so- <laughs> vortex is what I call it. <laughs> <laughs> it truly is a vortex. So let's the let's start from let's start with back let's start backwards because the animes that I picked I realized that there are a lot of really big fight scenes in anime that are really gorgeous and amazing to look at but I found that I still have a kind of a love for something a little bit more traditional especially stuff that happened older and older animes or was produced in an era where there weren't a lot of fancy like CGI there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of money being put into the budget or there simply wasn't a lot of innovation at the time. So I'm going to start at the current time point, so like currently like in 2022, and kind of like work my way backwards to kind of show like how my taste in fight scenes like changed overall and then came right back to the basics of like that traditionalism okay. in there. So the first one I'm going to start off with is a very recent anime that's currently airing this season. Uh, some of you may already know it, uh, some of you may not, but it is the mobile suit Gundam, The Witch of Mercury from Mercury that I wanted to highlight. And the reason why I want to highlight this is because for a long time, I've always wanted to get into the Gundam series. But as many of you guys know, Gundam has at least a 40-year-long tradition. It is a very old franchise, lots of different iterations, and sometimes you sit there and you think to yourself, man, I don't know where to start. The most recent um, uh, installment of the Mobile Suit Gundam original franchise that was the last to be aired was actually quite a while ago, which was the Iron Blood Orphans. But Iron Blood Orphans, while it has an amazing take about revolution and child soldiers and things like that, it did get a lot of, not backlash, but it did get a bit of controversy from the audience as compared to older Gundam series where people were very concerned about kind of like keeping in canon. So at one point, I was kind of like, okay, how else am I going to get to the Gundam series? How else am I going to dive deep into the Gundam series and not feel so overwhelmed with so many of these entries. Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury, provides a very refreshing, modernized look where the series itself doesn't take place in the actual canon of the 40-year-long tradition of Gundam, but actually is kind of like a separate universe and introduces you as a fresh, modern audience 
into Gundam by having you follow the events of Saleta Mercury, who is a transfer student from Mercury about to come into a school that is about mobile suits. It is an entire show about half of it is part of her high school life, you know, trying to make friends, you know, getting by with her quote unquote classes, which are basically just matches in her big uh, mobile suit. Gundam thing. And then the other half of it is a lot of politics, uh, company management, and things like that as they try to maneuver around the Benerit group, which is a big social uh, social and company conglomerate that controls the production of these mobile suits and for some reason dislikes and bans the idea of having a, gun, a Gundam machine. And so it's a very interesting show that really kind of pulls you into the politics. You don't really need to know anything about the original Gundam universe. And because it is a very modernized take on the Gundam universe, Sunrise has incorporated a lot of really cool new techniques for its fight scenes. And the fight scene that I really liked that I started watching a little bit more frequently is the first fight scene that is offered, not the prologue, but in episode one, which is Sleta versus Guel, the first round, where she impresses everybody with her new machine, Ariel, that has both a laser sword and also like these little rotating lasers that kind of act on its own whim as it like fires from different parts of the battlefield and it completely takes a lot of the bystanders by surprise because it is a very different type of machine. Um... Because of the updated animation, everything's very stylish, everything's very clean, everything's very bright. So you don't feel like you're staring at a grainy old texture from a Gundam film being like, man, I want to get hype, but you know, it's it's kind of dim. So here you have very modernized update of the Gundam universe uh, accompanied by this really great soundtrack. I don't remember who the composer is for the theme of Witch from Mercury, but it features a lot of swelling of the orchestra and then these like massive trumpets that just blare out the main verse when Suleta or the characters do something that's like extraordinarily victorious. So it's really nice to watch this scene all together and feel like this is a modern take of the Gundam universe. I was really surprised that you picked this anime because I know for a fact that you've been really enjoying it, you know, but I I, know, I, I know. <laughs> remembered before in the past, you actually talked about how you're not really interested in the mechas themselves, you know, like it, it's just it's just not something that really, you know, piques your interest in that regard. So in my head, I always thought, you know, it was like the characters in the story that, you know, completely won you over in regards to this new Gundam. So when you said that you've picked it and specifically one fight from this series that has four like best anime fight scenes, I was just very, very shocked by that fact. <laughs> I mean, it's accompanied by the fact that the Witch from Mercury starts off with a prologue where the prologue is rife full of political strife and corruption and then also um, the prologue introduces a couple characters that were part of the Vanity's institution that tried to create Gundam in secret but they were found out by sort of like the military or the big global corporations at the time and they were basically uh, eliminated they were basically like torched to the ground they were blown up and so that kind of political backing adds the tension into episode one of Mercury of, of the Witch of Mercury, where you know that there's some political social tensions around the show that you can't ignore. So I think that kind of basis from the first episode, from the first prologue into the first episode, it's kind of 
kind of tampers down a bit on like the fanboyness of Gundam, but really hone in on what Gundam Rich is truly about, which is all about the politics, the stories, and the characters, but also weave in the really cool mega fight scenes in there. It basically preps you, essentially. Okay, and specifically, I guess, um, I know that there's been quite a bit of fight scenes since the first episode. So why, I guess, did the first episode still, or specifically that fight scene that you mentioned, is still the one, I guess, amongst all the others? I think it's the one because we never really got to see the machine aerial in true action from the very beginning at the hands of our current protagonist. Because in the prologue, it was actually conducted by a child at the age of four. Mm. Her name is Eddie. We don't actually know if Eddie is actually Suleta in episode one because there's a weird time gap difference. So there's a lot of fan speculation that Eddie is actually her mind and soul is kind of like integrated into the machine and Suleta's like a copy or a clone of her, which is like very sci-fi kind of take. But it's very interesting to see how Suleta is piloting Ariel that is very different from how other people in the past would have tried to pilot Ariel and you kind of get the sense of like wowness from her and then one other really interesting tidbit about this fight is that it really adds on to everybody else being completely wowed by Ariel's performance but a lot of people were also realizing that is Ariel a normal mobile suit which just kind of flies around and stuff like that, or is it utilizing a very specific technology called gun technology and is considered a Gundarm, which is currently forbidden in the political sphere that they currently live in. So that together, I think, adds a lot of tension and that's what makes the fight more interesting with all of the context rather than it's just, rather than just alone, it is a big flashy fight scene. (laughs) Right, so it's not like a like a first, you know, first episode flashy fight scene so that, you know, all these new people or new uh, watchers of the show would be interested. It actually seems to hold like a lot of meaning, right? To Yeah, it holds mm-hmm. a lot of meaning uh, because it's, you know how like in a lot of shonen animes, when you watch a fight scene, there's usually a lot of big flashy action stuff that happens in the very first yeah. episode to catch people's attention. But at some point when you watch a lot of shonen anime for a long time, you kind of get this feeling of, uh, how would you say it? Um, it becomes very dull. It becomes very boring. It becomes kind of stagnant. It's you almost sort start of to like kind of... all the flash, but no, but no substance, right? Yes, the flash, no substance. Yeah, so you kind of start expecting it from a shonen anime, but because the witch from Mercury comes with all of the backstory in the prologue into the first episode, you feel a lot more invested into the story, and the first battle scene really stands out to you a lot more. And then also coming from the fact that the Witch of Mercury is kind of like the new version of Sunrise currently with all the updated animation, the music, the technicality differences as compared to IBO, which is from like years before, and then even earlier Gundam entries as well. So if that is your newest one, then I'm really curious to hear what your older ones are and hearing the transition. I'm trying to guess the one that I do know that I'm like, is that the youngest or is that in the middle? So... The one that I'm going to talk about next is actually in the middle. The one that I talked to you about, Gracie, is the last one. <laughs> so that 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 would probably make more sense with the progression of how I'm going to go things. So taking like several steps back from the whole sci-fi big action, you know, big mecha suits kind of deal is something a little bit more grounded. And this might actually be a little bit surprising for Isabel because I told her I don't like this show. 
but I actually do like very one particular scene in this one particular season of this show, and it is the second season of Bungo Stray Dogs with Gide versus Odosaku. Oh, yes, okay. iconic. Yes, okay. <laughs> yes, it's very iconic. So. First of all, I'll put this on the table too. Uh, Olosaku for a very long time for me was my second husbando on my husbando list, so that shouldn't be a surprise. The the other second thing <laughs> is that this fight scene is really cool because each of the characters have, you know, in Bungo Straight Dogs, they all have a special power. But what's not discussed a lot in the sphere of Bungo Stray Dogs is the concept of a singularity, which means what if somebody else has the same superpower as you and both of you meet at the same time? Odosaku is currently, I think canonically in the anime, the first person to have experienced a singularity because Gide, who is a foreigner who comes to um, Yokohama to like wreak havoc uh, against the mafia, also has the same power as him, which is a future foretelling predictive power. They can see, I think, like two or three seconds into the future and basically avoid death, which kind of makes them kind of immortal and a little bit OP. But when they realize that their powers overlap each other, they're like, oh, there's no point in us trying to fight using our predictive powers because we're just going to predict it anyway. No one's going to win. We want an obvious outcome to this fight. So instead, they told the, they told each other to completely forego using their powers and just fight by itself. So you would just be using like your body, your mind, and your wit. Um, and also like your reflexes and your your perception in order to outbeat your opponent. And so it becomes this really interesting match that lasts for like less than a minute. I know like a lot of fight scenes of anime is usually like three minutes long, but this one's like less than a minute, which is really nice. It's just an intense battle scene of just Odosaku versus Gide. They're firing guns at a very short range, like maybe a couple meters from each other and just kind of grappling each other from control. But they're so good about dodging bullets because they can perceive it as such a close range that they don't even need their superpowers in their first place so it's kind of like very awe striking as i'm watching it because i'm just like this is so intense you know a gunfight usually isn't this close in range but it is that close and they're that good even without their powers and of course it's animated by studio bones so that shouldn't be no surprise it's very it's also very flashy but it's also you know quite realistic in some aspects as well yeah, I think it's crazy how they like smiling as they like reload their guns too and just like Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz like Gide the entire time he was trying to lure out Odosaka to and asking him questions like why did you stop killing because Odosaka used to be like a, a really high-end assassin for the mafia and Odosaka was just like, "Oh, it's because, you know, I wanted to write a book and I just ended up adopting a bunch of kids, right?" And Gide is like constantly trying to goad and like bring out the inner demon of Odosaku, and they're just smiling the whole time as they're firing off guns and reloading. They're doing it so quickly too that I'm just like, "Oh my god, this is a lot, but this is really cool." <laughs> you were going to say something, Gracie. Oh, I was actually going to ask Isabel on, you know, if she was excited to hear that since she loves Bungo straight off. So, um, but with that being said, though, I am, I, that is probably what a lot of people have argued to be one of the best arcs of Bugo Stray Dogs and definitely the one that has invested me in the most in regards to plot, because I've talked about this before, but I do feel like the plot in Bugo Stray Dogs can be lacking, even though I do enjoy the characters. So, uh, so that's why, so that, but that arc was one of the case where I was like, no, I was invested in the characters and the plot of what was going to happen. So I thought, so it co makes complete sense that this was one of your picks and, of course, Odosaku being one of your men, so. <laughs> He's real. I don't know, it, it's him being, like, 
like kind of grumpy, very tired, but also like soft spot. Yeah, it's exactly. Thing, I totally know? get you. But also like a badass too, so you can't deny that. Uh, all right, so I know what your last one is, which was the one that's like the oldest in this lineup. But go ahead and explain to all of us once more and the listeners on what it is. <laughs> For sure, yeah. So this is the last one on my list. It's also made by the same st- studio as Boomba Stray Dogs. So this is Studio Bones, but this was done in two thousand seven. And as many of you guys know, the year two thousand seven very special to me because I mentioned it before in the previous episode. But it is the Sword of the Stranger, the final fight between Nanashi and Ro- Rorang, um, and it is an amazing anime fight scene to behold. With there are so many different aspects to this final fight scene. Not so much because of the events the movie has leading up to it, but from a technical standpoint and from a movie that is made in 2007 and actually was considered performing poorly in Japanese box offices is absolutely mind-blowing to watch. And there was a comment that I saw because I was doing the research and re-watching this, this final fight scene earlier this morning. There was a comment in the video from one of the YouTube commenters that said that you come back when you remember that you watched this sh- movie you come back and you watch it and you're still blown away every single time that you see it and that was me reliving that moment in the summer of 2007 re-watching this fight scene and going like oh my god this is amazing anime adaptation amazing technical aspects um and just everything about it is just so cool and it shouldn't come to a surprise that the animator for this particular scene is actually Yutaka Namura who is also a very prominent key animator in Studio Bones he worked a lot on stuff like Soul Eater uh, My Hero Academia and Cowboy Bebop so that should be a pretty big testament of how great his technical skills are in animating uh, but what I really like about Sword of the Stranger is that it's so grounded you know we go from Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch of Mercury, which is all in space, you know, a lot of flashy things going on. To Bungo Stray Dogs, where it's a lot of, you know, guns versus humans, but also has like a slice of supernatural powers. And then you have sort of the fire, which is just like raw brute strength versus, you know, inhuman capabilities almost, but they're actually still human. Um, the I guess the biggest thing about Sword of the Stranger is that uh, Yutaka Nakamura is very great, is really good at conveying the intensity of the fight and the usage of space and distance to bring out how much exertion a lot of these characters, you know, exert as they're trying to fight and create distance, but also engage in their opponents again. And you can't break concentration away from the scene within like the first three minutes of it. You're just so sucked into it and you can't take your eyes off of it. Um, It is also a great kind of symbolic wordplay and thematic like undertones in it because Rodong is the antagonist of the series and he wants to continue to goad on Nanashi who is our protagonist to kind of like be the beast that he is and keep taking like a lot of wild swings a lot of risky maneuvers and chasing Nanashi throughout the entirety of the fight scene kind of similar to like Hunter versus Prey and then there's the whole symbolism of the fact that both Rodong and Nanashi are not necessarily uh natives of the group that they are representing so Nanashi is trying to protect a young boy Kotoro in the movie's uh, plot from the Ming dynasty that are trying to sacrifice Kotoro for like an exiliar of life but Nanashi himself doesn't appear to be Japanese because apparently he has red hair and he's kind of ostracized he actually dyes his hair black to make sure that people don't know who he is Um, but in the way because red hair is not common in Japan it is kind of seen that he's a foreigner 
And kind of like as a flip side and also kind of being the foil to him is Rorang, his enemy, who comes from Ming China. He is employed by Ming China as a soldier to come capture Kotaro. But Rorang has a shocking uh, wave of blonde hair. He's very blonde and he has blue eyes. And so in, a, in kind of like in a way, they're trying to find like some some similar ground to kind of be like, oh, this is who we are. Uh, we are beasts, we are men bred for combat, but we are also foreigners who are protecting or guiding people that we don't really have like a passion towards or have any like feel, di- uh, feel piety towards too. So it's just really great overall. I really love this fight scene. I hope people can go watch it. <laughs> I remember you, this is not your first time talking about this particular no, no, but this is not my I first would time. like to note though, uh, even though I haven't seen the movie yet, is the Sakuga people who post about, you know, the minute sort of nuance of animation that we otherwise uh plebes would have missed because we don't understand the technical aspects behind it, have posted a lot about Sword of Stranger and namely its choreo- choreography as well as its cinematography to filming or not filming, you know, but to creating these fight sequences and stuff like that. So they are really a sight to behold. And, um, you know, what Agnes is saying, I have actually seen in the clips, even though I obviously didn't watch the movie itself. So uh, there's very clear evidence to the power behind uh, the animation of these fight sequences, as well as the levity they hold on to the audience. So, yeah. For sure, yeah. And it was so it was so intense that I actually sat there, because I was talking to Gracie about it this morning, and for the first three minutes of the movie, I could actually explain, like, every single sweep and every single, like, I guess, panel or animation shot of why it is important in that battle sequence and why it makes sense. Because there's a lot of animation fight scenes that you'll see in anime where it's, like, really flashy, especially, like, combat hand-to-hand, se- hand-to-hand combat sequences, but nothing makes sense in it at all. Sometimes people go flying, so, for instance, like, in, uh, uh... What's the uh the ten side slime? Reincarn- uh, reincarnation? It's no, no, no. The the one oh, with Rius. Oh, jobless reincarnation. Um. So examples like jobless reincarnation. There's a one scene where the female girl with the red hair goes against a bunch oh, of bandits, <laughs> and she manages to stab one of the bandits, but she can't like yank her sword out yep, because there's yep. another bandit coming after her. And then she just leaps up and does like a somersault over the bandit, somehow gets a sword and manages to kill the bandit that was going behind her. But when you actually watch it from like a breakdown martial arts perspective, you're kind of like, where did she get the second sword? Did she steal it from her opponent? She couldn't yank out her she first sword from the guy's one. ridge she's, in the first uh, place. So it's tra- kind of like... I don't know if you've seen the full series, but she's trained. Okay. Yeah. I haven't seen the full series, but I guess like... It kind of didn't make sense for me from like a technical standpoint, just watching it as it is. But it makes sense, I guess, in the series, so that's fine. But from that standpoint, I was kind of like, I'm a little bit confused, but okay. And also somersaulting that far ahead up above somebody's head, especially when you're that small, is pretty difficult. So I was kind of like, hmm, I don't know if this makes sense. But in Sword of the Stranger, I could actually explain every yeah, single no, part Jobless of that Yeah, no, Jobless Reincarnation, I will like, defend Jobless for Reincarnation for this. She uses magic as well to propel her in her fight scenes. So it's not... It's not just a okay. straight, like, physical, yeah. pure, like, martial arts sort of fighting. There, It's magic mixed in with actual fighting, so... Mm, I see, I see. Okay, okay. So that's that's my fault for not 
actually interpreting that scene right but you know what i mean like i guess like from a technical standpoint if you don't watch the fight scene or you don't know the context of the anime you don't really know how the fight scene goes but for sword of the stranger it's very straightforward Alrighty, so those are the three fight scenes that I'm guessing you really wanted to highlight, your favorites of all the ones you've seen. <laughs> yes. I'm actually sweating after I finish talking <laughs> about them. <laughs> I got so wrapped up in it, I'm like, oh my god, I'm actually sweating. Alright, wow. so then I guess the baton goes to me. So my first fight scene that just is sitting at number one for me, and I really doubt it's ever going to get overtaken, but I'm going to call back to Naruto, but it's actually not with the main character. It's specifically Kakashi versus Obito in their last Oh, that one's a good one. That one's a good one. That one is, I think it was just a shock to everyone because I also read the manga, and I can say, like, the fight scene in the manga, it was like, it was very typical, you know, it was like, uh, this is this is the big fight, the grand fight between two best friends who are no longer best friends and stuff. And it kind of went the way you expected it to. The anime was the one that actually really elevated it beyond the source material, because for one thing that they did really smartly is they integrated the they integrated a flashback into the fight scene, which I know, I know everyone gets annoyed with flashbacks in Naruto, but this was one that the entire audience agreed was actually utilized correctly because it really shows how much of a gap has like opened between those two because it all, it will always, it will switch it or, or sorry. What it will do is that a certain move that Obito makes will resemble a move that he made in the past, but now he's a lot more powerful and a lot more skilled. And a certain move that Kakashi makes now is also similar to a move that he makes in the past. And so they integrated an old fight, uh, an old fight sequence that the two had had when they were younger in training with the new one. And this constant back and forth of just an area that is so empty and alone with two people who once held really good feelings towards each other and now are trying to like tear each other's throats out and then, and then like slowly shifting and, um, fading into a scene that is when things were really warm and colorful and at times even playful it just really hit home how like hard and tragic the fight is it actually kind of reminds me of the azula versus suko fight at the very at the finale of avatar where you don't feel good about the fight at all you feel really bad and that's exactly what i thought they were going for and they certainly really nailed it and it really shows as well how much more equal they have become in fighting as kids kakashi was a lot more skilled and picked up picked things up a lot faster than obito and so kakashi was the one who was very very easily like winning every single like fight or every single move that he was throwing at Obito's way, and Obito was mostly defending. But then it's become flipped in the modern day because now Obito is the one who is furiously, like, trying to essentially tear Kakashi apart, and Kakashi is for once on the defensive, especially when it shows that Obito is actually physically stronger, and I think bigger than uh, Kakashi as well. And so that integration genuinely, it was just incredible for me. I remember immediately going to YouTube after watching that scene and seeing just over like YouTubers just live reacting to that fight. And some people were just like, 
blown out of their minds. They're like, I have never seen a fight sequence like this in Naruto, and I don't think we will ever see it again. I completely agree. The choreography was just insane, and the way that they were able to use it to tell a story was just, it was just chef's kiss for me. It's it's one of my all-time faves. I really don't think that it's going to get kicked down anytime soon, and I don't think that any Naruto or uh, franchise fight scenes will ever be able to dismantle it either like in one up it is just so good and it's like it's it's basically catching lightning in a bottle to me in regards to that particular fight scene so yep that is my first one I don't know if you two have seen it or not because I know you guys haven't really like you know started like follow Naruto from beginning to end like I have so yeah oh I definitely seen the clips of that scene it is Really, really good. I will say, like, the the fact that Naruto, at the end part of its... It seems kind of cruel when I say the end part of its life. (laughs) But the end part of the Shippuden series really capitalized on, like, that whole minimalism uh, part of animation to really bring out, like, the combat scenes. And then the fact that they also overlaid it with the childhood scenes of them fighting each other and using each other's techniques is really just... It's very, it's very Naruto. Like that, you cannot take away from Naruto and kind of like replicate it in another anime. That, for some reason, is just now a signature of... Yeah, and that really was at its best. Like, I don't think another fight scene was able to utilize it as well as that fight scene did, so... No, absolutely not. Because I know, like, there's a lot of other animes that are more shounen or more fight-based that try to use, like, kind of like that minimalism, you know, no shadows, very flat 2D. Also, of course, Naruto was working on a weekly budget, so, you know, there are some things that did not animate properly, but it never really worked as well as it did with Naruto. For some reason, Naruto still always pulls it off, and it's still really amazing. And it's still very touching, of course, too, because it's such an emotional part of Naruto. Yeah, exactly. What about you, Isabel? Have you seen that fight scene at all? Yeah, I saw that fight scene, but I feel like I feel sad that I didn't watch Naruto in its entirety because I I just went on to read the manga after watching up to Shippuden. Um, so so I had read the manga scene, and the thing I realized recently now that I've gone back, like I've been watching anime for a long time. Now I've been trying to read manga a little bit for series and i realized i i don't really know how the fight scene works until i see it in animation right (laughs) when i read the panels i'm just kind of imagining what the heck you know it's cool the fight scenes are cool the poses are uh the poses are great but then like in between that you're kind of making up what the fight scene is like in your head so seeing it animated and seeing like the little changes like makes totally makes a difference and and i like that you highlighted this one because then there's also this other fight in naruto later on in or boruto actually the one with Sasuke and Naruto versus Momoshiki. Oh god, that oh, one was good. That was also good <laughs> yeah, that one was good like animation and also uses that kind of like nostalgic thing, you know, where Sa- you know Sasuke and Naruto um use the large um shuriken uh together and use the substitute jutsu. Oh, that was good. That was smart. <laughs> yeah, so that like brings you back to like all the way to like the first arc, right, where they first, you know, uh, worked together. So but then, like, for Kakashi and Obito, like, they know each other so well, it's, like, different, and you wouldn't have had this fight scene before, so, and I, f- I feel like they used a lot more, like, backs, like, like you said, a lot of, like, flashbacks within that fight scene, which I feel like it's the only scene that I've seen um, have so many flashbacks, like, within the scene, like, all of a sudden you're, you know, going back into the past, and then you're in the future, or in the present, and it's, it's hard to, like, keep up, but then, like, they make it so great that you're able to follow along, and... Yeah, it's, it's weird to see, like, two adults and then two children, right? So, like... Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yep, yeah, that holds a good place in my heart. So that is my first fight scene. 
my second fight scene is specifically one with Levi. And so, and I, because Levi's fight scenes are pretty iconic. You know, he, his entrance is one of the most famous entrances of a character in anime. He still remains one of the most popular anime characters and, you know, probably will remain quite famous in regards to his reputation. But the fight scene that stuck out to me to the most about Levi and the one that I will rewatch over and over and over again in the same way that I have rewatched Kakashi vs. Obito several times, but specifically for Kakashi vs. Obito, I just want some feels, so I watched that one, but for some <laughs> adrenaline, what I go to is Levi versus Kenny specifically, so... Oh, that was a good one with the bar yes, shot scene. Exactly. Oh, that was yeah. good. That was so So smart. the reason why I like that particular Levi fight more than any of the others is that we all know Levi is a beast when it comes to killing Titans. And in fact, even with Titan shifters, he is a beast. No one can beat him. And that actually remains true all the way till the end is what it is. He does get like severely wounded. And I think we saw that in like the anime at where the final part two or was it part three <laughs> like wherever the anime currently was at we did see that but that wasn't because of like him versus titan sort of situation that was like a guy was uh, going to try to like suicide kill both of them together at that point so uh but anyway which you know levi wasn't expecting but but we know levi is just a prodigy when it comes to fighting titans and it's going to be very rare for him to ever lose in that regard and so a lot of the fight scenes that are really cool with him when he's fighting a titan is just like you just want him to tear stuff up i almost cussed but you just want him to tear stuff up is what it is levi versus kenny was genuinely adrenaline rushing because for the first time you're like oh oh shoot is he in danger i think his life is in danger and it's made more impactful by the fact that the person he is fighting is the person who trained him so if there's anyone who could potentially like be on the same level on a battlefield it would be the person who gave him the skills in the first place and so and that was also the first time you genuinely see levi rattled like he's been angry when he's fighting titans and specifically titan shifters he can be very very pissed off and stuff but this time you you could see the cogs in his like mind running as fast as possible because he's like oh crap, things have gotten a lot more dangerous in a matter of seconds and he's got to adapt and invent and adapt and invent if he wants to make it out of here alive and keep like his team alive as well. And he did lose a lot of members of his team during this fight. And it was just so electrifying because of that. Like my heart was just racing when I was watching it. And of course, the gold jewel of that fight scene is at one point where Levi was genuinely cornered. He still found an ingenious way to get himself out of there, which is the fact that bars were allowed to own um, bar owners were allowed to own uh, guns in regards to protecting themselves. And so using the alcohol bottle reflection to see where Kenny was standing at the door, he like aims and shoots at that guy. It was so, so good. And so... That's why uh, that is one of my second favorite fight scenes that I've ever seen in my life because I, I just it's a level of sort of like true adrenaline and a true sort of ingen ingenuity when it comes to actual fighting like on the spot that I feel like I haven't really seen as much. So, yep, that is my second pick. I see that Agnes agrees with me. <laughs>
Hell yeah, that was, I think, the most memorable uh, fight scene in Attack on Titan for me for a mm-hmm. long time. And what about you, Isabel? Have you seen that one? <laughs> oh yeah, I definitely watch that over multiple times whenever I see it on YouTube or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it gets suggested, mm-hmm. you're like, I have to click it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Levi on the thumbnail, I am clicking that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Isabel, do you have a soft spot for Levi as well? <laughs> yeah, definitely I do. <laughs> What people don't know is that we're secretly praising Agnes because Levi and Agnes share the same MBTI times. I was hoping you did not bring that up. <laughs> I was really hoping you wouldn't bring it up. I was just like, yes, we can all agree that Levi's a great character and everybody loves him. And then Gracie's like, by the way, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> don't look at me. Uh, so yeah, so that one, I, I guess there's really not much else to discuss in that regard. I think everyone agrees that was just an excellent fight sequence and you know, like I had, uh, I and Agnes had agreed with me on, I think it is one of the best in Attack on Titan. I don't think I have a favorite one beyond that. So, uh, so that is a second one that I wanted to highlight. Actually, I have a question. What did you think about Levi versus the Beast Titan? So I understand why a lot of people like Levi versus the Beast Titan, but the thing is, I once again knew he was going to win. Like, it was satisfying in the fact that he he deserved to win because we were so angry at the Beast Titan killing people that Levi cares about, per se. One of which won our best supporting boy, by the way. He came and attended our awards with the Halo over his head. So, um... Um, but basically i that one is exhilarating in a different way because you desperately know he will win but you also know he deserves to win because of all the crap that the beast titan has done but it still doesn't hit the same for me as when he was fighting kenny and be like oh god how is he going to get out of this genuinely how is he going to get out of this so um so that's what i feel got it yeah definitely and what's your, you have a last pick? Yes. Yeah, so my last pick is from ReZero. And it's when Wilhelm von Austria fought the White Whale. Have any of you two watched ReZero? Oh, I've seen the clip okay. of that. I've actually seen it. Yeah. I haven't seen that one. So okay. please. I, I'm now realizing I seem to have a preference in things. <laughs> like just now as I'm talking about it. But uh, Wilhelm versus the White Whale really surprised me. Like, I didn't expect to have that fight impact me the way that it did. And the reason why was everyone has been fighting really hard to kill the White Whale. And it's really been a struggle. And it ReZero gave me anxiety regarding the White Whale because it really was a hard thing to kill. But specifically, Wilhelm had a very personal a uh, sort of connection with the white whale because his wife who he had loved dearly and was the sword saint before um his before his grandson Reinhard essentially took her powers like just genetically I think took her powers and left her without her usual powers anymore um so when she went out to kill the white whale because the white whale was just killing indiscriminately and so many people that someone had to get rid of it and of course, she never came back. And so it was pretty, and obviously the white whale is still alive. So it was pretty obvious that the white whale had managed to kill her. And so Wilhelm has essentially been waiting to kill this beast for literally forever since he lost his wife. And what made the fight set up really good is that 
it did an integration thing again, like they did with Kakashi versus Obito, but the style is different because um, in the past, Wilhelm really wanted to be like this great swordsman. And at one point, he and Theodora, who was our Theodosia, Theodora, I forgot exact, her, her exact name, but uh, at one point, he and his wife had a rough patch in their relationship when they were falling in love with each other because of the fact that she had been hiding her full potential and ability to train him and make him feel better. And obviously, he felt pitied because of that and not respected. And so their recons- and their reconciliation was literally him, like, you know, challenging her to spar with him and specifically uh, to spar with him without holding back because he had been training by himself with the sword for a very long time. And so on one hand, we have Wilhelm fighting this mystical whale. So it is not at all dependent on sword strategy. It is completely dependent on sheer power, on like on, you know, a bit of magic helping to boost you about like just like Point, like stabbing your sword in the right places of a giant beast because if you don't the they, they'll just it won't harm the beast and the beast can eat you and stuff like that and then they interlaid it with showing how they reconciled during the spar where very much um him and will or her and wilhelm were using very real sword techniques to fight and it was very realistic in that regard and I know I have a bit of knowledge about sword fighting simply because I um as a kid I've actually uh taken some lessons in it and because of watching Chinese dramas (laughs) that caught my interest but also um but also I do write a lot of sword fight scenes and so I've also studied a lot of sword techniques due to writing that as well and so specifically I so specifically I could tell that they were the choreography was using very genuine sword techniques when the two were fighting against each other and they interlaid that very realistic fight scene with a very magical larger than life fight scene over and over and over again and it finally ends with Wilhelm beating uh beating or maybe it's Teresa oh my gosh it starts with a th that's all I know so um essentially uh, it ends with Wilhelm uh beating his uh, wife in the sparring match and thus like you know telling her that he realizes the reason why she was hiding her true abilities wasn't to mock him but because she actually didn't really want to do the things that people expected of her and so she was kind of using uh, their time together as an escape from her responsibilities and so he offered to uh, he offered to essentially take over her responsibilities now that he's proven he is just as good as her and so she asks him you know do you love me and he being a sundere was just like well don't you know that already and he doesn't want to say it and then it cuts back to current time where you know Wilhelm is now very old like white haired beard and everything and he starts crying because he's finally killed the whale and then he like looks towards the sunset at the end of the fight scene he goes and he just yells like i do love you i love you after all and i never got to uh, like you know i regret not saying this earlier and i was just like oh like what a beautiful and sad and romantic fight and the way that they interlaid it between a mystical creature that is essentially a monster with real life sparring of of swords between two very talented swords people. So that is why I picked that one as my third. It's just made a huge impact on my kokoro, to say the least. <laughs>
So yeah, so basically, um, I guess you two, or I guess you two didn't know the con context around it, and I'm guessing you two haven't seen ReZero, so... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know the context behind it for sure. I just watched the fight scene. And, um, uh, oh, well, Isabel, you, you definitely don't know. You had mentioned earlier. So, yeah, so that's <laughs> so that's basically my three picks in that regard. And um, and I think now it's your turn, Isabel, to talk about yours. So what are your favorite fight scenes you've seen in anime that, you know, just continues to stay with you? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I was watching the scene a little bit while you were talking, Gracie, as well. The I didn't expect it to be actually White Whale. That, that surprised me actually when i uh watched i was like oh white whales for a person i guess but no it's literally a white whale so when you explain a that, literal white uh -huh. whale yes <laughs> yeah so you explaining that yeah definitely makes up for a lot of the context in that scene so thank you no no problem at all mm -hmm. all right so i'm excited to hear what your picks are <laughs> yeah my pick uh my first pick uh, i can probably watch this fight scene uh, like over and over again as well um but it's no surprise, it's from Jujutsu Kaisen. It's the last scene um, in episode 24 um, between Nobora and Itadori versus kind of like the, I think, oh, the brothers. yes, yes. Mm, that one's mm -hmm. a good one. Yeah, I just think that scene is really cool. Like, obviously we talked about there's some fights that are really flashy, but I think this is flashy and also displays how scary, especially Nobora can be. Like, up until that point, I just thought, okay, Nobora is like pretty cool, but like this kind of like, like shot her up and like in me liking her a lot just because she was she was freakishly scary like I thought Itadori was going to carry the scene like how he carried her in the beginning like she couldn't run as fast as him and the enemies were basically you know get you know gunning them down and getting them but and the Itadori is literally telling Nobara like can't you run any faster and stuff like mm -hmm. that right but he literally picks her up and runs away and and you know even though they do that, they still get to them, and that's how the fight scene starts. But like the fact that Nobra just like to use her techniques, like she is willing to, you know, hammer herself uh, with her own technique, and just to try to get the enemy under control and and uh, be able to use her ability, I thought that was crazy. And then Itadori just kind of also using his own you know cursed energy to um, punch the enemies that way um, really stood out. And then. I also really like that scene where they're like their backs are against each other and then they switch opponents. That's definitely one of my favorite parts in the scene just because it shows like they know each other. I mean, they barely met, but like now at this point, they know each other so well that they know what their abilities are and, you know, they can trust each other to, you know, finish, finish off the enemies in the way that they can. And the fact that they care about each other to some extent as well. But yeah, that that definitely like I could like every time I rewatch it, I'm like I I have to go see this scene, you know, just one more time. Um, <laughs> no, I I remember awesome. that was um that was also the scene where everyone was like, oh, Nobara is kind of crazy, but like a cool way. So, <laughs> in a way, like a lot of this, I, I had a couple friends and I we were talking about JJK, where a lot of the females in JJK are kind of like crazy bitches that you don't want to touch. <laughs> Because they are, like, actually really crazy in their own, like, unique way of how they stand up in the jujitsu like, sorcery community. So, and it really highlights that, especially in the last episode with Nobara. Just basically balls to the walls, no, no f given, no pain, no gain. Just literally starts nailing things into her arm. And I'm like, oh my god, she's mutilating Yeah, herself. basically she was like, I don't care if I have to do this to take you down. It's going to be fun. <laughs> so... 
Yeah, she's like, you and me down to one ticket to hell. <laughs> yeah, Let's that's go. <laughs> exactly it. It was, it was really great. And I also like how you mentioned uh, Isabel, the moment where Itadori picks her up. Because, you know, we've seen it a million times of, like, you know, shonen protagonists picking up the girls as they fight and stuff like that because the girl needs some rescuing or some help. But in this case, it was a little different because specifically after Itadori had picked Nobara up, Nobara, like, turned around, was like, okay, I'm just gonna, like, shoot at them while watching your back because you can't protect your back that way. And I was like, there you go. You can still do things. And so, uh, so I thought that was a really clever detail they added as well (laughs) agreed yeah yeah so if that is your first pick then what do you have for your other ones yeah my second pick is from mob psycho um but it's not from the recent season because i haven't started seeing that yet i think i'm gonna i might wait until it's all out so i can binge watch i've heard (laughs) that mob psycho season three has been insanely good (laughs) that's word on the street (laughs) (laughs) yeah I uh, yeah, I'm like saving it. I'm like waiting for it. To, it's really hard, and I'm really trying to not watch spoilers, even though I've been spoiled a little bit. So I'm like, okay, <laughs> I'm just gonna keep that in the back of my head or throw it away. <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of fights in Mob, but I think the one that stood out to me was Mob uh, versus Koyama, which is in the first season, and this is a scene where um, Koyama actually tries to kidnap uh, Mob's brother. Uh, Ritsu because he thinks that uh, well Ritsu finally shows off his psychic powers it's kind of a scene where he uh he wants to show off his powers like he's always been under uh mobs you know shadow kind of like his his brother is always uh, a better psychic than him and he he can barely bend a spoon as an esper so like he wants to show off his power and um he also kind of teams up with Dimple to do that um but because he shows off this power people are kind of interested in him which is why he, you know, gets into that scene where he's fighting, fighting some gangs um, of middle schoolers, and then in the middle of that, he's also tra- he's also getting kidnapped. So Mob shows up, and he's like, "Wow, you know, like little brother, you're like doing great. Like I'm so happy for you." Whereas Ritsu's kind of like angry and trying to get like a reaction out of him. Um, but in the in the middle of that, when Koyama comes in and tries to take away Ritsu, that's when Mob gets mad because he. You know he's endangering his brother, um, and that and this this scene also just shows you how weak Mob is in fighting. Like he is not he is not built at all to do any type of physical fight. He can only do like you know, uh, fight as an esper and you know move things around. So like the in the first half of this fight, he's basically getting really beat up, and that's the first time I was like really scared for him. Like I don't know what's going to happen, right? Mob is like, he's like getting his stomach punched out. He's like flying everywhere. His head is in the wall. I'm like, is he gonna live? You know, um, it's just it's just so scary. And it's funny too. There's like this difference between him and Koyama, where he's he's like, oh, I don't want to turn into that kind of adult that's an esper like i don't want to use my powers uh to hurt other people and but when it comes to his brother like that's a different story um so this is another time where we see mob uh, hit his 100 percent mark where he kind of goes uh ballistic uh especially when koyama is like trying to get um he's trying to take away his brother uh and hurt other people and so he so mob kind of like powers up and just like um, starts doing the things that Koyama did to him again, uh, like throwing him in the walls and basically shooting up into the sky and then bringing him back down. Um, I thought that was like, 
a great turnaround in the scene but i also was like oh how is this scene gonna end right there's a bunch of like gangsters in the it's like it also takes place in a little like alleyway between two two buildings and so it's a really small space so you know there's only so much mob and koyama can really blow up um but they do a lot of damage around them as well and especially what the scene how the scene ends is really funny too because uh koyama decides that okay i have no time to deal with this you know psychic kid anymore so he resorts to using um i don't think it's sleeping gas but it's my kind of like a basically it puts mob to sleep for a little bit and i find it funny that that was like the ending to the scene um even after getting you know punched around and using their esper powers and things like that um but the, and then so as as Koyama takes Ritsu is just gonna literally just run away after that. Um, he, Koyama decides that he's gonna also beat up the other middle school kids, kind of like watching the scene. Wait, why? Um, just, <laughs> yeah, he, just cause he can, because he's like that adult. He's like, I can, I'm so much powerful than these guys. Like he has no, he does not care how old he is, how much older he is, and how much more powerful he wow. is than the kids. Like, just, <laughs> yeah. He'll just do bad things, like, just because he feels like it. Like, he's that type of person. Um, but yeah, Mob, like, stands up after that, even though he was, like, passed out. But you can tell that he's unconscious. But <laughs> that's enough to freak him out. And Koyama's like, okay, I'm dipping. He's too scary. I can't believe he's standing after that. <laughs> but yeah, those are one of my favorite scenes. There's a part two to this, too. They fight later on. And Mob is just like, oh, I think this guy could take more than, you know, more than he looks like. I know he can take a beating, so he literally just beats <gasps> him up between like a bunch of Oh walls. my gosh! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is it bad that I kind of enjoy it because it is karmic? So <laughs> it definitely is. Oh so, yeah. Uh, just seeing that part too, I was like, oh, okay, the, the first fight, Mob was holding back a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Even when he was at his hundred, he was holding back because he was like, I might kill mm-hmm. this person. So. Yeah. <laughs> wow uh yeah no that definitely sounds insane i feel like that would have been a really fun fight scene to watch and i can definitely see and understand why it hyped you up for sure (laughs) yeah definitely um but yeah that's my second pick uh my last pick for a fight scene is from my hero um i know gracie you haven't watched my hero but i don't know agnes if you've seen the fight between deku and muscular or muscle man I don't think I saw that scene. It wasn't in season one, right? Because that's the only season I watched of Boku Hero. You know what? I can't remember if it's, se- it's either season one or season two. But yeah, it was pretty early on in the series, but that's okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, basically, as Muscle Man, like as the name implies, is, this man's just like full of muscles. And um, this fight was, uh, I like this fight a lot just because they, because like this is the first time also where Deku kind of is able to. Um, hone his powers for one for all and then actually uses it to 100% as well Um, but the thing is like I don't think I've seen this in any other scene so far where he's actually like scared for his life because muscle man is literally beating him into the ground and Deku is trying to protect a little kid Mm. Um, and so he has a little kid behind him and he's fighting this guy who's like full of muscles just like beating him to the ground and and then at one of and then he also like as he's being beaten into the ground, he's literally saying like, "Oh, I'm sorry, mom." Like he's saying his goodbyes at this. Oh point. my gosh! Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so he's like, "I'm scared, you know, all might. I'm so sorry," and things like that. I'm like, "Deku, are you okay?" Like, 
I don't yeah he obviously was not okay mentally like I think he was also just like crying in the scene just because like I believe like how much pain he was in and how much you know he didn't want to die but then also didn't want the um the enemy to get the kid so like it's just like him with his like hero ideals so that's one of the fights that definitely stood out to me in my hero just because it was it was like emotional in a different way like to me it was emotional because Deku was just trying so hard to protect someone and also like be a hero for that person but he's also just so weak at that point because he hasn't to fully develop his powers yet so yeah I I like teared up I was like oh you know he's like trying really hard and just reminded me of like that first episode where you know he and him asking all might like can I become a hero like you um even though you know I don't have a quirk like that so yeah I mean there's a bunch of other fights too but like I think that one especially stood out to me in the series yeah no I guess how did it end did he just like pass out or yeah and this one he actually yeah he was able to I think there there is a moment where he is basically beaten into the ground but then um the kid actually uses his quirk which is like a water splash so it's not really anything uh but the kid tries to distract uh the muscle man or do his best and then in that in that second um you know Deku's able to kind of fully harness like he comes up with an idea to fully harness his power to beat mus- uh muscle man or muscular but yeah, he definitely passes out after that. He's just like so tired, but he's so happy that he was able to do that kind of like in that This moment. is unique because this fight scene really is a loss for the protagonist. Like the win is literally him surviving, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the reason why it's not really like, oh yeah, I totally won this mm-hmm. fight. But yeah, it's like, oh, I actually lived and I actually saved this boy. Like I can't believe I did that and I didn't die. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I understand why because it's, it's very rare i think to have a fight scene where the winning is just oh god he's alive like that's it you know the like not no it's not about the bad guy getting caught it's not about like anything else aside from just that he was okay he made it out so i can totally see why that made an impact on you for sure (laughs) Alrighty. so did you have any other scenes you wanted to highlight or are those uh the three that you wanted to speak about (laughs) Yeah, those are literally the three I had. Did any of you have any other fight scenes you wanted to have? No, that, but I, I'm very pleased and happy with my three. <laughs> what about you, Agnes? Nothing else? I am also very happy with my picks, unless you want to hear me yell more about Sword of the Stranger, <laughs> which is not a good idea. <laughs> Alrighty then, so I think that wraps up our episode for this week. Thank you everyone for listening to us, and also we had our Spotify wrapped, and we had some pretty amazing statistics we weren't expecting, so thank you guys so, so much for giving us those amazing statistics. It means a lot to us. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at girltaku underscore AT. And I hope you'll be here next time with us when we come back with another fun topic. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye.